All right, turn your Bibles to the book of First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 986. When I was in college and a little bit into seminary, I worked at a summer camp up in northern Michigan, and in the summer of 2005, my title was Camp Host. Now, this job was sort of the junk drawer job of the camp. The saying was, if something needs to get done and no one knows whose job it is to do that thing, then it is my job to do that thing. Now, this entailed a lot of what you might call customer service, things like lost and found, things like looking over all 800 acres for a piece of luggage. I got pretty good at it, and there's a great story about a giant snapping turtle that I'll save for another sermon. But one of the things that I had to do as part of this job is I had one of the camp's emergency cell phones. Now, keep in mind, uh, this is 2005, And so often this meant me sprinting from the house I lived in to this field in the middle of the night to try to get service on this cell phone. But one time, I was actually already in a place that had service, so praise the Lord, but I got a call from a parent. This mom was very upset. She was upset because she had seen a picture We, even back then, would post pictures online for parents to see what their kids were doing. And she was concerned about the physical well-being of her child. She had seen a picture of her son jumping on a water trampoline. If you don't know what that is, just break it apart, a trampoline on the water. But from the picture... She thought that he was bleeding all over his body. Now, at the time, I was a 22-year-old recent college graduate, and so I attempted to calm her nerves by pointing out the improbability of being able to jump on a trampoline while losing large amounts of blood. For some reason, this argument did not work. So she insisted that I go in person, find her child, and make sure he was okay. So I jumped in my golf cart. I found the child and using my first aid skills, I looked at the child. The child was not bleeding profusely. We subsequently made policies against the use of red face paint in large amounts, clearing up the probability of that problem again. The reason I tell that story is to highlight the concern of the mom. She was not satisfied with me giving her a rational argument, which turned out to be correct, But it wasn't good enough. Why? Because she was his mom. So she needed me to go in person to make sure 
to guarantee that everything was okay. An educated guess was not good enough. A logical argument was not good enough. I needed to go in person, still on the phone with her. It was a great scene. I'm like, I'm looking at your son. He is not dead. Earlier in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we saw Paul use parental metaphors to talk about his relationship with this church. Now, part of the reason he did that was to explain why he was doing what he's doing, but also it shows and demonstrates deep concern. That like a healthy parent, Paul was deeply concerned about the Thessalonians. There is a deep love that the only good analogy is that parent-child analogy. And because of that great concern, just like this mom in my story, Paul wasn't satisfied with just hoping that the Thessalonians were okay. Remember, he had to leave because of the riots and the physical danger to himself. Paul was not satisfied with just hoping, I'm sure they're fine. But as central to this passage, one of the things that Paul did out of his concern for the Thessalonians was to send Timothy in person to see how they were doing. And what connects all the verses of our passage today is that visit and report back from Timothy, seeing in person how they were doing as an expression of Paul's concern for the people of Thessalonica. So let's look at our text there. Our big idea, if you're following along, is this. We find joy as we serve other believers out of a sincere concern for their spiritual lives. So let's begin chapter 2. We're beginning, beginning in verse 17. We're going to see our glory and joy in verses 17 to 19. Follow along as I read the text. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul giving background to what he is doing in sending Timothy. And again, as we've talked about before, this could have been a point of criticism from the Thessalonians to Paul. Why did you leave us and not come back? So Paul, in dealing with this, tries to help them understand what he is feeling. So he describes his exit as being torn away from you, not what he wanted and that the separation was in person, not in heart. It wasn't a lack of love for the Thessalonians that caused him to leave. And in fact, he wanted to come again and again, but was not able to return because he was hindered by Satan. About this, one author writes, So great was their effort that only satanic opposition could explain why they did not return. Now, we're not told how this happened. We're not told how Paul knew this was being hindered by Satan. 
But what I want you to see is one Paul's heart in that the only thing that could keep him from returning was being hindered by Satan. And as a reminder that we do not war against flesh and blood, but we wage a spiritual battle for people's souls. And too often we are lured into a false sense of security that we are not, in fact, in a battle. If you're in war, you act differently than when you are in peace. And Paul reminds us here that we are engaged. We have a mission that has an enemy. And we need to persevere. And in moving from this, Paul speaks again of his love and concern for the Thessalonians in verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our, are our glory and joy. Paul says the Thessalonians are three things in these verses. They're his hope, his joy, and his crown of boasting. But before we get to the specifics of those, I want you to see the context of all three. First of all, the what is a who. What is your hope? What is your joy? What is your crown? But the people. He values the people. He loves the people. He finds hope and joy and reward in the people. And secondly, the context of these three descriptions is the return of Christ. The idea is that when Paul stands before Jesus and gives an account for what he did with the talents and resources God gave him, what will he have to show for his time on earth? It reminds us of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, where that Paul explains our works will be examined by God and that Jesus will, quote, will test what sort of work each one has done. So when Paul stands before Jesus and Jesus says, what did you do with what I gave you? Paul says, look at the Thessalonians. He can have hope to hear well done and faithful servant because of the Thessalonians. Because he did what was right and good and godly among them. And he can have joy. In them. Now, again, I want to point this out, that it's so counterintuitive. We think if we want joy, we just need to gather all the things that we want. But Paul says, in light of the coming of Jesus, where is his joy found? He's found in his work among the Thessalonians. That if you want to find lasting joy, serve and invest in other people for their spiritual good. Again, there are few things more countercultural in our world than this. 
Not if you want joy, gather all the things that you want for you. Don't just have a lot of me time. But if you want lasting joy, invest in and serve others. And finally, in light of the return of Christ, they are his crown of boasting. I want to take a few minutes to unpack what that means here. Let's begin with, I thought Christians weren't supposed to be boastful. So what does he mean? So crown, when he says crown here, don't think king of England in the Revolutionary War time. Okay, think Olympics. Think a crown as uh, an award for competing. Again, as one author writes, athletes, for example, would receive their crown when they won an athletic contest that was a recognition not only of their victory, but also of their efforts and labor. Again, think of modern Olympians. When you see them get the gold medal, it's a recognition that they won that event that day, but we also know all of the work and all the discipline that had to go into just getting to compete in the Olympics. We connect this, this idea of a sign of hard work completed with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. That he can be proud of the work that he has done in a healthy, good, and godly way. And that Paul will not boast about what he has done, but will boast about God's work among the Thessalonians and their continued gospel transformation. It is another way for Paul to find satisfaction and joy in what God has done through him in the Thessalonians. This is the awards. This is the award that will last. I want you to see here that what actually brings satisfaction is when you can look at faithful service done for others. Bringing the gospel to people and bringing how to live the Christian life to others is what actually brings satisfaction and joy. I'm reminded of a verse that my college chaplain once gave to me. This is 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now again, connecting with that idea of being a parent. Just as parents can find joy in what their kids do in a healthy way. You can be proud of your kids without being prideful of your kids, right? But if you want to look back and you want to say, I did, I used my time well. And when we stand before God and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What Paul is telling us here is that is investing and serving others in their walk with Christ.
And maybe one of the reasons you don't have solid joy or you're not satisfied with your life is you're not investing in others or helping them grow in knowledge. But when we serve others, we can find satisfaction and joy. Let's go to the next part of the passage beginning in in chapter 3 here because not only were the Thessalonians a source of joy to Paul, but he was also very concerned for them. So point two in your outline there, our worry and concern. Let's begin by looking at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So here, as I said before, Paul is recounting and telling us, the readers, how he had sent Timothy when he was not able to go. But let's begin by seeing his heart for the Thessalonians in this action. Look at verse 1. When we could bear it no longer. And we'll see in verse 5, he says that again. When I could bear it no longer. There is a deep yearning and a deep concern for the Thessalonians that causes him to send Timothy. Now, he recommends Timothy because we know he was a young guy. And as we know from the book of 1 Timothy, that was a hindrance for some his age. But Paul, to sort of build him up, calls him our brother and God's co-worker. Paul probably does this to show that, that he is a significant part of my missionary team. And he is doing God's work faithfully. But I also want to see a different reason to send Timothy in addition to that. Who is closer to Paul than Timothy? From the Bible accounts, maybe we could say Silas. Maybe we could say Barnabas. There's a few other people, but it is a very short list. And through looking the scriptures, Timothy is the only one for whom Paul says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. There was a strong relationship, and for a couple reasons. One, who could represent Paul better than Timothy? A son, rightly or wrongly, reflects the father pretty well. And so if Paul can't go, he sends someone who can represent him the best. But he also sends someone that is a cost to him. Timothy was personally dear to him. He's giving up someone close to him for the sake of the Thessalonians. But he was also an effective member of Paul's missionary team. So he's giving up someone who is doing good work. There is a cost to Paul to send Timothy. That is how great his care is for the Thessalonians, that he is willing to lose so that others may gain. Sometimes we must trust God to provide, as Paul did here, for giving up what we could use, what would be nice for us to have for the sake of others. 
But also in these verses, we see what Paul told Timothy to do. First, he was to establish them in their faith. The idea here is one of building up and helping people to grow in maturity. The NIV translation is helpful here in translating the word there, strengthen. The idea is that he is, through his teaching and leading, to make the Thessalonians strong and solid in their faith. He is also called to exhort them, to encourage change, and to push them, spur them on to perseverance. Again, one author writes, it not, this word not only appears in the context of moral instruction, but also for new converts to persevere or to remain true to the faith. Paul was called to coach them, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to push them forward in their faith. Why? Let's look at verses 3 to 5 for the answer. I'll back up to verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul sent Timothy. He was concerned. He, they needed their faith strengthened and encouraged because he was worried, verse 3, that they would be moved by these afflictions. We see this at the end of verse 5, that our labor would be in vain. Paul is worried that because of affliction, they would run away from the faith. This reminds us of the rocky soil in Jesus' parable of the soils, where Jesus says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I want you to feel the depth of Paul's concerns. Because it's not for the comfort of the Thessalonians. It's for their souls. He is concerned that because of affliction and persecution, that they will run away and deny the faith. We also need to notice in verse 5 another reference to Satan. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. They are in a hostile environment because of the afflictions they are receiving from their communities, but also the temptations from Satan himself. And that both of these forces will cause them to want to run away from the faith they have professed. 
So they need Timothy to come and establish and exhort them. But we see another related reason here, because this is not the exception. I want you to see in verses 3 and 4 that Paul explains to the Thessalonians and to us that affliction and the temptations of Satan are a normal part of the Christian life. Look at verses uh, 3 and 4. That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. We've seen this type of rhetoric in 1 Thessalonians before. He's saying, you know this. You knew this was coming. I'm not telling you anything new. In fact, he says here explicitly, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Because in the mind of Paul and throughout the scriptures, suffering is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And oftentimes, the best thing we can do is simply be prepared. So we see a function of teaching and preaching in the church through Timothy of preparing and being strengthened to endure affliction. Because oftentimes it is when we face affliction that we are most tempted to run away from our faith. We need to see the study and the teaching of God's word as a way to strengthen who we are in Christ. It can be easy to simply walk through life, to avoid what is difficult, or because we live in a well-to-do society to not see the attacks as they are. But like the Thessalonians, we need to be firm in the truth. We need to be strong in our faith. We need to be prepared for hardship. Because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. In the last part of the passage, we actually see, by the time Paul's writing this, Timothy has come back to Paul. And he's able to give a report of what he has seen. And in these last uh, verses, verses 6 to 10, thankfully we're going to see Timothy's good report about the Thessalonians. So it's like a point three in your outline there, our thankfulness and hope. Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as, long, as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, 
we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you and for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see your face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul is relieved and excited because they're not just doing okay. They are thriving. Notice the terms he uses for the good news. He is happy to hear about your faith and love. Notice, if you notice, if you go back through our passage today, your faith is repeated five times in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 3. And here in this part of the passage, faith and love are big categories used to summarize the Christian life. One author points out that these are standing in for the marks of true Christianity. That to summarize a life of faith lived out as a life of love. It is faith as allegiance to Christ and love as living out among others and love to God himself. And like a worried parent in verse 7, Paul is comforted. And the one who sent Timothy to encourage them in the faith is himself encouraged by their faith. Again, in verse 8, we see the heart of Paul and his team. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Their faith, the faith of other people, is life-giving to Paul. It's not his concern about himself. It's not his worries about himself. When he is concerned and is serving others, when he is giving, when he is outward focused, that is when he experiences the abundant life. Verse 8 again. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. Again, the NIV is helpful. It translates it, really live. <laughs> there's an excitement. There's a joy. There's a life there. And the celebration of their thriving in their relationship with Christ culminates in two ways. Number one is thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. The idea is that any thanksgiving they would give is, is lacking. In one sense, he's saying, I can't thank God enough for this report about your faith. And secondly, the response that he has is that there's more work to be done. Look at 
Look at verse 10. So that he may establish your hearts blameless. Oh, sorry. Verse 10. Actual verse 10. As we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul celebrates the faith of the Thessalonians by giving thanks to God, but also by making plans and praying for the opportunity to do more among them, to supply what is lacking in their faith. Just like a parent's work is never done, so too Paul continues and promises to continue investing in these young believers. This is his response to their faith. I want to give you more. A couple thoughts as we close up this morning. Number one, find joy and satisfaction in serving and spreading the gospel. We can find stable and true joy when we give of ourselves. And a lot of times, it'll feel counterintuitive. A lot of times, it won't feel worth the effort. But what Paul shows us here is that it is always worth it. Joy and satisfaction are not found in collecting, but in serving and helping others to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Number two, be established and exhorted. One of the unique parts of this passage is to help us understand the purpose of preaching and teaching. And one of the main applications here is that when we learn the Word of God, we are being strengthened to endure. And when we are learning the Word of God, the purpose is to encourage and change us. So we have these dual purposes of what should you take away from the teaching of God's word. You should be encouraged to endure and persevere and at the same time encouraged to change. And again, as we saw earlier in First Thessalonians, this is possible because we believe these are the very words of God which can even transform us. And finally, again, a theme running throughout this entire passage is we need to be concerned for other believers. Don't just be thinking about yourself. Don't simply be thinking about your family. Don't even just be focused on the needs of this particular church. The people of Thessalonica were miles from Paul. Again, think about the modes of travel back then, how long it would have taken Timothy to get there and come back. No email, no group texting, 
But even being separated that much, Paul had deep worry and concern for these other believers. If we want to flourish and thrive in our own lives, we must have deep concerns for others. One of the ways I think we do this well is with our emphasis of missions in this church. It's actually a great spiritual discipline for you to care about people you will never meet. (laughs) That when we partner with people in Asia, that we care about people, one, we don't even know what they look like. (laughs) We don't even speak the same language, but what unites us is our common faith in Jesus Christ. I think of the times when we send our retired pastors here to go preach in other churches. That's a good discipline for us. They could be doing stuff here on those Sunday mornings. And we love them dearly. Again, like sending Timothy. These guys are just a little older than Timothy was. They're going to tell me about that on Tuesday. (laughs) Again, even thinking about the two Timothys we have sent away. Lucas and Troy. Some of you wished they would have stayed and I would have gone to Wisconsin or something. (laughs) Believe me, I'd never go to Wisconsin. That's another sermon. Talk about Wisconsin. Anyway, again... They were dear to us, and there was work to be done here. There was cost to us to send them. But it was good for us because it made us care about other people. And that is a source of joy and satisfaction. Where we stand before Jesus and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Be concerned about other believers. Cultivate a desire to encourage others, and in doing so, like Paul, you will be encouraged. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the book of 1 Thessalonians. God, that you would cause us to have great concern for other believers. That we would imitate Paul's parental concern for these Thessalonians. And that we would find joy and reward and satisfaction in serving others as Paul did here. And God, that you would use your word to establish and encourage us in the faith that we would stand on the solid foundation of your truth and that you would use your truth by the power of your Holy Spirit to change us to be more like Jesus Christ and we pray this in his name Amen